in the early 90s, there was a, an acronym that became really popular, four letters that were printed on uh, T-shirts, bumper stickers, but most prominently, they were printed on um, these little uh, woven nylon bracelets, four letters, WWJD. Do you remember what that stands for, anybody? What would Jesus do? Uh, four letters that signified this like sort of uh, moral imperative that followers of Jesus are to have, to, to behave the way that well, Jesus taught us to behave. Y'all remember that from the 90s? Did anybody have any of, you know, WWJD paraphernalia? Yeah, the bracelet. Yeah, all right. I, I did too. I think that the bracelet was the first like Christian symbol that I ever got before I got like a cross necklace or anything like that. It was the WWJD bracelet. And I love it. I think we should bring those back, actually. Um, they actually, they're starting to come back, but now it's like a silicone uh, bracelet. But, but anyways, um, I love it because it's this question, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And, and you know, just having to ask that question usually reveals the answer to whatever ethical dilemma that you're facing. Like, do I tell the truth? Do, do I forgive? Do I give a few extra dollars to the person on the street? You know, do, do I speak up? Do I visit that website? Well, what would Jesus do? And the answer usually becomes pretty obvious. Jesus would tell the truth. Jesus would speak up. Jesus would give generously. Jesus would love unconditionally. Jesus would forgive quickly. All, all of that. But the question that I want us to ask over the next couple of weeks is, is this one. What would Jesus say? WWJS, what would Jesus say? What would Jesus say to, to our modern day issues in our world? What would Jesus say to our own ethical dilemmas? And so what would Jesus say to the things of this world? What would Jesus say to things like climate change? What would Jesus say to globalization? What would Jesus say to abortion? What would Jesus say to biomedical ethics? What would Jesus say to atomic bombs and drone warfare? What would Jesus say to Black Lives Matter, Police Lives Matter, social media, Wall Street, Capitol Hill? The, the list could go on and on and on. But the reality is that Jesus lived in a very different time, very different culture, very different part of the world from us modern day Americans. Jesus was a first century um, Middle Eastern Jew. The world was drastically different. And yet, yet we believe that, that the teachings of Jesus have this eternal truth to them that, that can be applied to our modern world. So what would Jesus say to us today. Now, just a disclaimer, um, I'm going to focus these, this, uh, the messages in the series uh, on the things that, that Jesus kind of more directly speaks to that could be applied to our world today. So I'm not going to cover everything uh, because I mean, after all, uh, Jesus didn't have a whole lot to say about uh, the private use of personal data on social media because there was no social media back then. It was, it was the marketplace. 
and not Facebook marketplace. But, but there's always, there's always these lessons of Jesus that, that can be applied to our modern world. It's just that some of them take a little bit more stretching to get there than, than what a Sunday morning sermon allows for. So yeah, I'm not going to cover every social topic, every social ill. Um, instead, I'm going to focus um, on some of the modern issues that actually millennials and Gen Z um, have raised. Uh, millennials and Gen Z, those two generations, um, why focus on them? Well, because I'm a millennial and we're the best. So we're gonna, um, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, the reason actually why we're going to talk um, about the issues that millennials and Gen Z are raising is because, well, not only are they the future of the church, but they are the church today, that these two generations, they make up the largest segment of our population in America today. And they're asking really big questions about issues that that are really pressing. There was a survey that was done on millennials and and Gen Z um, about some of the issues that that were critical to them and the questions that they had uh, that they wish the church would would answer or provide some sort of answer. Questions that seemed that that the church wasn't answering, or at least uh, most churches weren't answering. So I'm going to take up some of those topics, some of those issues in this series, WWJS, what would Jesus say? What would Jesus say uh, to some of the issues that the largest population of Americans today are asking? And look, um, if you feel like, well, (laughs) I'm not a millennial, I'm not Gen Z, so so why why should you care? Um, Why should I care? Well, if you're in business and you think the voices of millennials and Gen Z is just nonsense, it doesn't matter, you're going to be out of business in 30 years. If you think the voices of millennials and Gen Z doesn't really matter, then you're going to have a terrible relationship with your children and your grandchildren. These are the generations that have had to duck under their desks at school, not because of nuclear warfare during the Cold War or anything like that, but because of active shooters entering the schools. This is the kind of world that they are growing up in. And so if you think that their voices are nonsense, and if you care about the church, this church or, or any church, we have no future, without millennials and Gen Z. Sure, they got some growing up to do. We got some growing up to do. I'm, I'm a millennial. We got some growing up to do. I'm part of that generation. But to write off entire future generations of the church, entire future generations of Christians as irrelevant makes the future of the church irrelevant. So we need to pay attention. We need to listen. The two largest population groups, uh, two largest generations that make up the largest population in America today, uh, they're going to fundamentally change the way the world works, change the way that we see the world, and change the way that the church works, and we see the church. And so we're going to try to listen to them. Um, and one of those concerns is actually just the church. Um, so this is sort of a confluence of many different things that were uh, kind of surveyed from uh, them, but I'm throwing them all together here because the issues ranged from, you know, is, is faith relevant anymore? Is the church relevant anymore? What about faith and science? This is the generations that that didn't grow up in a church or, or they grew up with their parents watching some kind of creepy televangelist on Sunday mornings. And now there's pop star mega church pastors. They've, they've witnesses 
Uh, They've witnessed churches in decline and closing down on the corners of streets. They've witnessed church get in bed with politics and make a really ugly baby that has come out of it. So there's a lot, there's a lot that's going on, a lot of questions surrounding faith and the church. But I just want to try to simplify it for us today and just ask this question. What would Jesus say to the church? to hashtag the church. What would Jesus say to the church in America? And this is, this is difficult, right? Because the church looks really different in our country. The church in the South, in the Bible Belt, looks very different from the church in the Pacific Northwest. And there's, not to mention, there's Protestant, there's Catholic, there's Orthodox, there's Reformed, Baptist, Pentecostal, Methodist, Mainline, all of that. There's televangelists and mega churches and small rural churches in the Midwest. There's traditional and modern and contemporary. There's cowboy church and clown church. That's actually a thing. Did you know that? There's a clown church. Who, who would want to go to that? Sounds terrible. Anyways, what would Jesus say to all? I know what Jesus would say to the clown church. He just, anyways, what would Jesus say? What would Jesus say to all of this? First thing is I think Jesus would say, quit splitting Quit separating. Quit, quit, quit splitting every time you guys have a squabble together. Quit, quit separating. And, and now I, I get this from a human perspective, from my own point of view. There's things of my faith that I hold near and dear to my heart as a Methodist, Wesleyan, a Christian that, that are. I mean, I believe some different things from Reformed or Baptist or Orthodox or Catholic siblings in Christ. However, like we're still siblings in Christ. We, we still believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's so much that we hold together. Yeah, there's some nuanced beliefs, but at the end of the day, we believe a lot of the same stuff. So I think Jesus would say, quit dividing and getting divorced. Again, that's easier said than done, because right now uh, in the United Methodist Church, where we find kind of our spiritual home, um, we're currently splitting right now. We are ununiting Methodist. I really wish it weren't so, um, but this is just kind of what it has come to. But maybe, maybe we could just stop fighting with each other, bless each other, go our separate ways and get on with ministry. Maybe that's the best possible outcome. But also acknowledge that... That's not, that's not what Jesus wants. So listen to this prayer from Jesus. There's not many times that um, we have a recorded prayer from Jesus, but but this is one um, that's recorded in in, uh, the Gospel of John, and it's the longest prayer by far. It takes up all of John chapter 17. And so um, this is what it says. Jesus says, I'm no longer in the world, but they talking about his disciples, his 12 apostles, they are in the world. Even as I'm coming to you, Holy Father, watch over them in your name, the name you gave me, that they will be one just as we are one. Now, Jesus is praying specifically for his 12 disciples there. Then he goes on, he says, I'm not praying only for them, only for the 12, but also for those who believe in me because of their word. I pray they will be 
one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. I pray they also will be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. He goes on. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they can be one just as you and I, just as we are one, I'm in them. You are in me so that they will be made perfectly. What one you get the hint, right? Okay. It's like, come on. <laughs> and, and look, we couldn't even answer Jesus's prayer. What, what would Jesus say to the church? What did Jesus say to the church? Stay united, be, be one, make them one. What did we do? Divide. <laughs> Divide, 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 divide. That's all I'm going to say about that because um, it wasn't your fault. It wasn't my fault. Um, I think the ship has sailed already. There's thousands of denominations, thousands of, of Christian divisions. Um, but, but here's what we can do. We can safeguard against divisions within our own church today. We can safeguard against divisions within our own local church here at First Dunedin. That maybe we could do something about that. That it's not just it's not just traditional worship over across the street. It's not just modern worship here in this building. It's not it's not this Sunday school or that small group or that click or that click. I mean, it happens. I get it. You like what you like. I know. But but Jesus would say, watch out. Remember to, to say, stay one, watch out. And, and let me, let me just say this. Um, I got a bone to pick here. Um, in the five and a half years that I've been here pastoring this church, I've only ever seen one white person come to the Micronesian worship service. Five and a half years that I've been here, I've only seen one white person show up in the Micronesian worship service. One, uh, apart from myself and the church staff. And I can't count how many Micronesians have shown up to the English speaking church services. And, and I get it. You, you like what you like. You understand the language. You understand the words that are coming out of my mouth and, and the music and all of that. But, but do you want to answer Jesus's prayer? Do you? Do you want to be one church? Then switch up your Sunday morning worship hour just for once. Jesus, please. Okay. I'm going to unpause from that. Even though we didn't pause for that, I, I just, um, we're, I'll get off my soapbox now. You've heard, you've heard me. So on the count of three, let's just unpause, okay? One, two, three, unpause. All right. So now we're going to switch gears. We're going to take a hard left turn um, and we're going to turn to the book of Revelation, which is uh, the last book in your Bible. So if you keep going, it's all the way to the right. So um, book of Revelation, it's a, it's a strange book, man. It is a weird book. There's a lot of weird things that are happening in it. Um, It's full of symbolism and imagery. Um, but uh, if we're going to ask the question, what would Jesus say? What would Jesus say to the church? Well, Jesus actually did say some things to the church, the early church, the first century church. Uh, when the church is getting established, there's still some kinks to work out. Uh, there, there's still um, some, per- there's a lot of persecution going on when the book of Revelation is being written. Uh, there was a man named John. He had a vision. He had revelations, a series of revelations of, of Jesus and heaven and what was going on up there and how it related to earth here. 
Uh, But part of that vision involves Jesus giving John a message to a group of churches, seven different churches. Jesus gives a specific message for each church or each kind of cluster of church. And Jesus is speaking to them sort of from the perspective of heaven. So we're going to look at um, just one of those messages to one of those uh, churches or groups of churches during this time. But I would encourage you, uh, read the other messages. They're all found in Revelation uh, chapters two and three. So just in those two chapters, you find all of the messages that Jesus gives to the churches. And I would think um, that Jesus would probably say a similar thing to what he says to this church in Revelation chapter two. So here it is, Revelation chapter two. It says this, it says, write this to the angel of the church in Ephesus. These are the words of the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. That's, that's Jesus holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands. Let me just say um, the seven stars represent the seven churches. Um, each star is, is a church. Uh, the gold lampstands, we're going to get back to lampstands in, in just a moment. He goes on. He says, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance. I also know that you don't put up with those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles, but are not. And you have found them to be liars. You have shown endurance and put up with a lot for my name's sake. And you haven't gotten tired. Good for you. But I have this against you. You have let go of the love you had at first. And so remember the high point from which you have fallen, change your hearts and lives and do the things that you did at first. If you don't, I'm coming to you. I will move your lampstand from its place. If you don't change your hearts and lives, but you have this in your favor. You hate the Nicolaitans, what the Nicolaitans are doing, which I also hate. If you can hear, listen to what the spirit is saying to the churches. I will allow those who emerge victorious to eat from the tree of life, which is in God's paradise. Okay. Um, so here's, here's what I want to focus on uh, the lampstand. Why, why a lampstand? What, what is up with that image? Uh, well, the churches uh, that were kind of hearing this message, uh, they would have immediately thought of something back in the old Testament, uh, back in the book of Exodus, actually the book of Exodus, Exodus 25, Moses, describes to the Israelites, the Jewish people, um, how they should build the Ark of the Tabernacle. This was like God's kind of mobile home while the Jewish people were wandering about through the wilderness. This was sort of like where God resides and and, uh, God's giving instructions uh, to Moses on how to build it and everything. Inside the Ark of the Tabernacle, um, there's some really important things like the Ten Commandments, a bunch of other things, but also there would be a lampstand. And so this is what it says, Exodus 25 verse 37 says, make it seven lamps. This is the lampstand. Make it seven lamps and set up its lamps so that they direct their light in front of the lampstand. Now, what was in front of the lampstand was the bread of presence or, or the show bread. Maybe you've heard that before the bread of the presence were 12 cakes that were baked 
every week as a reminder that God provided bread from heaven while the Jewish people were wandering around in the wilderness. Maybe you remember that story. God kind of rains down bread from heaven. Well, they keep up this thing uh, every week. They make 12 uh, sort of cakes of bread that would sit on an altar in the tabernacle. There was a lampstand that shone right in front of it to reveal, to kind of show off like a spotlight on this. It was, it was God's way of saying, Hey, don't forget what I've done for you. And it was God's way of saying, this is where I'm at. This, this is my presence. The, the lampstand was strategically positioned in the tabernacle to shine on what was in front of it, the bread and God's presence in the same way that the lampstand in the book of revelation is given to the church in order, in order to shine a light on where God's presence could be found. The, the lampstand's there for all who are searching and trying to find God's presence. All, all who are searching for something precious. You remember the story in the Gospel of Luke? Jesus tells a story uh, about a woman who loses a coin. And so she goes searching throughout her house to find it. And what does she do? She lights a lamp to go and find it. it it's by the light of her lamp that helps her see that reveals to her what is most precious to her. You see, the purpose of the church, the, the purpose of the church in Revelation 2, the purpose of the church of Ephesus is that you're to show the world God. That's a pretty big task, but they've forgotten that. Jesus says, hey, hey, you've done, you've done some really great things. I, I know you've been very busy and you haven't grown tired. You're not just waiting around passively. You're doing great stuff, but I hold this against you. You've forgotten your first love. You've, you've forsaken your first love. You've been so busy doing everything else. You've been so busy with, with the church stuff that you've forgotten to love me. You've been so busy defending against, you know, bad theology and bad thoughts to make sure you believe the right things, which is important, but they've allowed their love of Jesus to diminish in the midst of all that they're doing in the midst of all of their hard work. They're, they're loyal, but they've lost their spiritual glow. They, they go to church faithfully, regularly, and, and make sure that they study the scriptures intently, and they hammer out all the key issues of faith inexhaustively, but their lampstand is burning dimly. See, it doesn't really matter what the church is right about if we get our relationship with Jesus wrong, because that informs everything else that we do. Knowing Jesus and loving Jesus are, are not necessarily the same thing. They're, they're linked together. They, they bring each other. They make a complete whole, but, but they're not necessarily the same thing. There, there's a whole bunch of Jesus-themed things that, that we can do as a church that we do do, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we love Jesus. 
We, we know and worship a God who is alive and active in our world today. We, we know and worship a God who is personal in our lives today. Not, not some dead deity trapped in a book. But, but when we, we get it all twisted and wrong, we end up like the church in Ephesus. You see, they, they, started, they started to move their lampstand to highlight the things that, that they thought were important. Not the things that that Jesus wanted them to showcase, but the things that, that they thought were important. And, and every, every church has a tendency to try to move our lampstand. The lampstand we've been charged to keep lit, keep, keep burning to show the world. This is God. This is what God is like. This is what God's love is like. We often do that by well, we turn our lampstand on ourselves. We, we try to showcase us, not, not, not the presence of Jesus. We, we try to move our lampstand to show the world what, what we are like. And so we shine a light on a pastor or preacher or personality shine a light on politics and we move it, move it slightly to the left or slightly to the right to highlight one party over the other. We, we, we take our lampstand and we shine it on something else and we say, Hey, look, look over there. That looks cool. Let's try to do that. Let's try to be like that. And every time I think God says, Hey, who moved my lampstand? What are you guys, what are you guys doing with it? Quit, quit, quit moving it around. Why, why are you trying to show that off? Show me off. Show God off. Bring that lampstand back over here where it belongs and show the world who I am. Not who you are, who I am. Because every, every time that we move that lampstand a little bit, we lose a little bit of our identity. We make it harder and harder for people to see God's presence, God, God's love, what God is actually like. The purpose of the lampstand given to the churches, it's not to illuminate the church, but to illuminate what they've been trusted with. Jesus, the, the good news, the gospel. So Jesus tells the church in Ephesus that it's not because of their lack of, of loyalty or enthusiasm that their lampstand could be taken away. It's because they've forgotten their mission and their purpose, their first love. But, but love the way Jesus describes it. It's not, it's not about a sentimental thing. It's not about a feeling. It's not romantic. No, Jesus says it, it's about works. Jesus equates love with works. He says that, that remember your first love by returning to what you did at first. They, they stopped doing the work that they did at first. And, and now they're in jeopardy of losing their lampstand. They, they tried to keep their light burning bright just for themselves, but not to shine it outwards. Not, not, to, not to attract the world to come and see. Not, not to show off Jesus, but they kept it for themselves. Jesus says, you got to reclaim your first love. Church, we need to reclaim our first love. We need to understand that our primary goal is to burn brightly and shine in the darkness. In fact, Jesus warns this church in Revelation 2 that if they don't repent, 
They don't change their hearts. They don't change uh, their lives, reclaim their first love. Then, then Jesus is going to come and he's going to take away their lampstand. I mean, have you ever thought of that before? Like Jesus builds the church, the Holy spirit sustains the church. But did you know that Jesus can close a church down? And that's what he threatens to do. But Jesus warns the church in Ephesus that, that if they don't get their hearts, if they don't get their, their lives right, then they'll, they have no business being in charge of a, of a lampstand. If we don't get our hearts and our lives right, if we don't set our priorities right, if we don't reclaim that first love that we have for God, then we have no business having a lampstand. We, we have no business taking up real estate here in downtown Dundeedon if we get any of this wrong. You see, the mission of the church, the mission of the church, it, it's not to shine a spotlight on ourselves. The mission of the church is to shine a light on Jesus. And the mission of the church is, is not just the membership, but it's those who are missing. Jesus said, I, I came not, not for the healthy. They don't need a doctor. No, I came for the sick. I've come not to call the religious or the righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. The mission of the church has not been and never, never will be to save and preserve the church. What would Jesus say to the church? I think Jesus would say, it's not about you. And it's not about all your stuff. And it's not about how pretty your lampstand is. I can take that away. I think what Jesus would say to the church is, don't move my lampstand. Don't, don't, don't try to showcase something that, that's not about me. Jesus would say, I, I've given you this. I've given you this light. I've given you this lampstand to reveal, to show off to the world who I am, to show my life, show my love to the world. Don't move it. Don't miss it. Don't make it about you or anything else. Make it about your first love. Let's pray together. As a holy God, we pray that your spirit would come and fill us up. Your spirit would come and illuminate us, oh God. Illuminate our hearts, and Lord, especially those dark places, those shadowy places where sin hides and guilt and shame, hurt and pain, hangups. God, won't you flood that with your light? bring healing and restoration to us. Fill us with your grace, your love. God, we pray that your spirit would be poured out on these gifts of bread and cup, that they would be for us the body and blood of Jesus so that we might be for the world, the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Lord, make us one. <laughs> just as you and the father are one and the Holy spirit Lord, make us one with you, make us one with each other, make us one on mission and ministry to all the world. Pray this in Jesus name. Amen.